Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. This is a national health alert from the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one has diabetes, listen closely. Now, regardless of your age, if you have insurance, you may qualify to receive diabetic testing supplies with little to no out-of-pocket costs. Get free delivery, free information, and all the paperwork is handled by our accredited suppliers for free. Call the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline now for details. But wait, there's more. If you call right now, you could get a free meter upgrade. In addition, we'll give you a free pedometer as our special gift to you. We have knee, back, and other braces available, as well as pharmacy services. Regardless of your age, if you suffer with diabetes and you have insurance, we can help. 888-303-9136. 888-303-9136. 888-303-9136. That's 888-303-9136. Nobody really needs or wants home security until it's too late. You've heard the statistics about how many burglaries there are per day. You see the news. You know there are people out there that do bad things. The best way to help protect your home and your property is with an ADT monitored system from Protect Your Home, an ADT-authorized premier provider. Call right now to get a free wireless home security system valued at $850. An ADT monitored system can help protect your home from fires, theft, floods, and call for emergency help. Call now to find out more about our $850. free wireless home security system and start enjoying the peace of mind of security today. Call 800-561-2351. 800-561-2351. 800-561-2351. This offer is for new customers only. Termination fees apply. $99 customer installation charge and 36-month monitoring agreement required. All for details. License terms and conditions available at secureathome.com. Well, welcome, welcome everyone to Blog Talk USA. We are so happy to be here with you on this marvelous Monday. Before we get started, let me tell you how you can always find us and how you can listen to our live programs and archived episodes. And then we are having a little trouble uh, with our, I guess some of our circuits are busy, so uh, Bishop Guillory is already here. So I'm going to have to dial in to Dr. McKellar after I give everyone the info and hand you over to Bishop. Uh, The number to call to listen live to all of our live programs is 605-515-9375. You can also listen online at blogtalkusa.com. And you can also listen on our Blog Talk Radio channel, blogtalkradio.com forward slash blogtalkusa. You can also find us in podcast form and on iTunes and Stitcher and Apple Radio. And any way that you are finding us, we just appreciate that you're doing so. 
and we ask that you keep sharing our information with others and keep coming back, and we thank you for that. Okay, let me give you to my brother, Bishop L.J. Guillory, and I'm going to Hello, try to call Dr. McKellar from our board. Mondays. Hello welcome there. Welcome to Marvelous Mondays. Hello there. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome, everyone, to Marvelous Mondays. I'm sure that Dr. McKellar is sitting over there like, plug me in, plug me in. <laughs> so we're going to plug you in. Anyway, have a happy, 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 marvelous Monday, everyone. And I'm here to tell you about a little bit of the gossip from the Oscar uh, fiasco. I say fiasco because they're back to their old shenanigans. But um really want to give a heads up and a, uh, you know, Spike was very classy. Spike uh, stepped out with his uh, 24 tuxedo. Uh, giving um, paying homage to the late Kobe uh, Bryant, and uh, as many of you know, uh, many of the Oscar goers uh, somewhere on the red carpet or during this speech, they paid tribute to the late Kobe. So uh, Los Angeles and all of the stars are really um, shining a little bit dim. Uh, due to the 15-day marker of the loss of the late Kobe Bryant and Gigi. So we're going to say rest in peace to them. Uh, I've been well uh, warned (laughs) about the uh, untimely discussion uh, that some people had about the Kobe situation. Now, on the Ombudsman Press show, I said that I understood the fans of Kobe feeling the way they felt. I just wish that Kobe could do a little bit more. And since that time, people have been coming out of the woodwork talking about things that Kobe did. And uh, one of the the uh, tentacles of him doing so is to remain anonymous and would not allow the people to talk about uh, the – whatever blessing that he was to them, their organization, or to uh, the uh, cause. So friends of mine that are also friends of his have been contacting me and let me know some of the things that Kobe did in in uh, his anonymity to, you know, help the cause. So, uh, and as many of you know, uh, the very outspoken, uh, Snoop Dogg have, you know, been battling with Gail and Oprah uh, to let them know that they were out of line for their untimely uh, attacks on the legacy of Kobe and the fact that they brought up and mentioned things that women of all uh, should not have done with his four daughters. Uh, his four daughters are totally or were totally unaware of anything that occurred prior to the marriage. I mean, the uh, their birth, and uh, those things were brought to light uh, due to Gail' uh, unjournalistic uh, lack of integrity, and uh, so she's been paying the dear cost. The only thing that kind of was twisted is that she said that uh, she alleged that. Snoop Dogg had threatened her And I listened to all of the uh, You know the Podcasts the interviews that he did The radio shows 
and in none of those did I find a threat. Uh, nor did he when he came back today and said, "Hey, Oprah uh, and, and Gail, hey, I didn't say uh, I would never threaten a seventy-year-old lady, even though she did some things that were inappropriate. I just checked her, and uh, he made it very clear that he did not make any uh, death threats uh, to her or any harm that he wants to come to her. He just wanted to let her know that you can't continue to use the color of your skin." To make these type of attacks on black men And uh, while at the same time You are holding tight To the Weinsteins and others So that's my little gossip From California uh, Dr. McKellar are you there? Yes Good evening How are you doing Bishop? Good Welcome. evening co-host I have not I'm very talking to the woman anymore Hey Hey yes, What's going on? Welcome we, I yes, know, right? We, I said, we I'm going to be very, on time. We were very yes. sorry about uh, Mr. Kobe Bryant. That was, uh, we talked about it on all the shows, and it's just, we, we're trying to move on and, and uh, accept what is uh, the inevitable, and that's his death. And all the right. beautiful people that were traveling with him. That's so sad. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Absolutely so what's sad. going on in East Texas? Well, we have, yes, we have a great show all lined up here tonight. Uh, we have actually someone that comes pretty close out there from the territory where you hey. used to be, and that's over in Tatum, Texas. But we, before we get going, we're going to actually ask, I know we have a lot of people tuned in tonight, so we're going to ask them when they're not speaking to please mute their phones. So that, so that we don't – I had a very difficult time getting in. As a matter of fact, we've had really, really inclement weather here in Tyler, Texas on tonight and all during the day and started on last night, as a matter of fact. And so I was not able to get in uh, on – so I had to call Miss Rihanna and ask Wait. her to help me get in tonight. Well, you know any time the bishop is on, Russia and everybody else is on, they want to know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, um, even before the bishop comes, they still want to know what we're going to talk about, right? <laughs> so, so let me tell you what we're going to we're going to start out talking about the young man over a little fellow over there in Russ County, uh, Tatum, Texas, to be exact, uh, that uh, wanted to wear his hair in dreads, and uh, it was uh, supposedly out of uh, out of the rim of what the school district. Uh, had in their uh, rules and regs and their policies and procedures. So we have the grandmother that's on with us tonight, and so Great. we're going to ask, yes, ask if she would uh, press one, uh, and uh, and so we're going to bring her in, uh, Miss Edwin, uh, uh, the guard. She's the guardian of Michael Trimble, and okay. she has a little brother by the name of Kaylin Cock. So. Um, right. So Miss Ed, yes, Miss Edwina, are you there? Yes, ma'am, I am. Oh, good evening. Wow. How are you, ma'am? And welcome to Marvelous Monday. We're happy to have you on with us tonight. And a lot of uh, the people that live over there in the area out there where you live in Tatum and Carthage and all of that, those are real stomping grounds for myself. And then, of course, Bishop owns property. Uh, Bishop Guillory is a is our co one of our co hosts, and so he owns property out there in, in Henderson, and that's the area I believe uh, where um, all of his 
and over yeah, yeah. all of those things. So we want to hear exactly what I did get the paperwork that um, that the uh, Miss Sharon Berry, who is the vice president of the Texas Coalition of Black Democrats, as well as as you know the county chair over at Houston County. So I did read your material, but just begin by giving us a little t- a tidbit, and then we'll ask you a few questions uh, about exactly what happened. So kind of just lay the story out to us exactly what happened with with the child that's enrolled in Head Start program, right, over in Yes, ma'am. Tatum. Okay, go right here. Okay, well, good evening, and thank you for having me. Um, yes. I would just like to correct something. Um, My grandson here is naturally grown um, out of his scalp. It's not not dreaded. It's just naturally grown. Um, And it is long, but it's just natural, his natural hair. Mm -hmm. So I I just wanted to clear that. Um, Yes. um, On August the 1st, I went to enroll my grandson into Head Start. And at that time, there was a question about the dress code and his hair length. Um, So I was directed to go and meet with the principal. And I met with the principal, and she explained to me that his hair was too long. Just in his natural state, it was too long. Um, And so she gave me two options. She told me that I could either cut it or I could braid it and pin it up. And I then requested to speak with the superintendent, um, Mr. J.P. Richardson. So I proceeded to go over to his office, and I met with him one-on-one, where he gave me the same two options. He told me that I could braid it or pin it up. At that time, I asked him about his transgender students because I knew that he had transgender students at the high school. And I wanted to know... um, did they have to adhere to the same dress code? And he explained to me that those students are protected by a law that was passed in Washington, D.C. So I proceeded to ask him, well, why does that diminish my grandson's right? His hair is naturally grown that way. And he then explained to me that if I was that passionate about my grandson wearing his natural hair, I could send him to school in a dress. And when asked if he's male or female, I need to have him to say that he is a female because that would show that he is transitioning into becoming a transgender. I was totally appalled. First off, my grandson is four. He's four. He's not transitioning into anything. He has no idea about gender. You know, he just knows he's a a boy. So I thanked him for his time, and before I left his office, I told him that I would be fighting him on this. And he said to me, many have tried. So I went home that day, and I wrote a Facebook post. And then my Facebook was private. It was just a few family members, because I'm born and raised from Compton, California. So my Facebook was really just designed for me to share pictures of my children and my grandchildren. But I wrote my first Facebook post, and I shared it. And I'm also a part of a Facebook uh, group called Mothers of Black Sons, and I shared it there. And it got the attention of a young lady, and 
Pennsylvania, who asked me if I had ever thought about writing a petition on change.org, and I told her no. Um, I had never thought about it, and she asked me if she could help me write a petition because she, too, was appalled that this man would tell me to put my grandson in a dress. So I wrote, um, with her help, my first petition. And at this point, it has grossed over 20,000 signatures. Um, I went ahead and got my grandson's hair braided for the first day of school. And his name is Michael Trimble, by the way. Um, And so I got his hair braided, and I sent him to school. And that day, the first day of school, he returned home with a note in his book bag saying that the braids were still too long. Um, So then I proceeded to pin it up and put it in bobby pins, but he would come home every day complaining that the bobby pins would hurt. He's a little boy. He's never had bobby pins in his hair. So I continued to send him to school. And at that point, I would take a picture and a video of him every morning before I sent him to school to show that I was in compliance. Um, I would send him to school. I reached out to the NAACP. Um, My first encounter was with um, the president of the NAACP in Marshall, Texas. And I met with him in his office. And he explained to me that I was not in his district. So he then referred me to the NAACP president, Mr. Wenzel Coleman, and I sat in mm-hmm. his office. Mm-hmm. And that's he explained Longview, to me, right? Yes, ma'am. Longview? That's the pre- mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. That's mm-hmm. the president in Longview. And um, in his office, He explained to me that I wasn't a member, but that he would try to find an attorney that would possibly look into my case to see if I had a case. Um, I then left his office and came home and started writing emails and just writing more posts because I just felt like this was a total injustice. And then I was able to go on to Tatum ISD's webpage and find the actual dress code in writing. And it stated hairstyles like the guys could not wear their hair past the collar, nor could they wear it in puff balls, ponytails, man buns, and rat tails. And after reading those hairstyles, I noticed that all of them were racial hairstyles, and I just felt like that was truly an injustice to our black men um, because all of the hairstyles that were mentioned are predominantly black hairstyles. I don't know of another culture or race that could put their hand right. hair in a puffball. The mullet so, wasn't mentioned. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the mullet. The mullet wasn't mentioned. I noticed. No, ma'am, it wasn't. It was not. Um, and I would continue to send my grandson to school. And um, at that point, I noticed that there were other children, biracial children, whose hair was down, you know. Um, and I just continued to send them to school. Well, I did my first protest. Um, I scheduled my own protest. Um, I bought my own poster boards. I used my living room as a um, designing 
I don't know, just just poster boards and staples and trying to protest. Um, and then we got a death threat. Someone posted um, one of the school boards. As a matter of fact, he's the president of the school board. He owns the daycare here in Tatum. Well, his administrator director, her 35-year-old son posted on Facebook that my grandson needed to be shot. And we're talking about a four-year-old little boy. Okay, well, so I'm going to jump in every now and then. Uh, again, uh, Ms. Edwin, uh, i ask you a couple of questions. Now, um, is, your, is your grandson biracial? No, no ma'am. He is fully black. He's not biracial. Okay. Okay. okay, you had mentioned that there was a lot of biracial kids. So that's that. I was wondering if that was a point that you were trying to make in regards to how you felt that he was being treated. Okay, Okay, go ahead. Hold on. Did you go to the uh, law enforcement regarding the death threat? Yes, sir. Immediately. I got that threat about 2 o'clock a.m. on a Tuesday morning, and by 5 a.m., I was at Russ County Sheriff's Department where I met with two deputies. Um, Not only did I meet with those two deputies, but I gave them the evidence, the actual Facebook post with the young man's name on it and all of his information. The deputies told me that... It was too early in the morning for them to do anything, but by 8 a.m., the investigators would be in and that they would give them my information. About okay. 10 o'clock that morning, go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to immediately do this. Uh, you have a federal case. The, the federal statute that they're saying that protects the transgender and, 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 and trans, you know, that is the 15th Amendment, which actually protects African-Americans, but this is a federal case that you're, I mean, as you're laying it out, it's a federal case. So I'm going to, I've requested uh, through Rihanna to get the paperwork because I think this is a case for the Southern uh, uh, Poverty Law Center. And it's also, you know, if the NAACP don't want to take it because you're not a member, that's on them. I'm a lifetime member of the NAACP and the past president for Russ County. But uh, at this point, with the death threat, um, this is something that we need to immediately get out because, uh, I mean, I, I understand uh, East Texas have been able to get away with this for a long time, but uh, I'm going to ask that you have uh, Dr. McKellar to accompany you to the FBI yeah, actually, Bishop, I, I actually have all of that. I have all the paperwork. I'm actually, I will forward it over yeah. to you. I have yes. it, and um, I have. I don't. I, I don't have the paperwork on the on the death threat that she mentioned. As a matter of fact, yeah. uh, I I'm just now hearing about that. I I, I didn't right. hear about that part today. Uh, but uh, but go ahead, ma'am, and, and finish kind of laying laying everything out for us. So that we'll get a clear picture of uh, of everything. Go ahead. Okay, I just wanted to back up. I wanted to draw um, a direct line to what why I mentioned biracial. There were there are students there that are biracial. Michael is totally black. He is black. Mm-hmm. Black mother, black father. I was just bringing that up to say that there is 
there is a child that I know of whose mother is Caucasian. The father is black, but he's not in the picture. And so the young man lives with his white mother and white grandmother, and he is not being targeted. And so that's why I brought that up. Um, but and he's wearing his work. hair below his. He's wearing it below the collar. That because I he's saw wearing, the regulations. He's wearing it long. He's wearing it long. I don't know how far up under the collar. Um, by that time, my grandson had already been kicked out. But I do know I have pictures as early as um, the Christmas program that the primary gave. And, yes, ma'am, his hair is to his collar. Um, okay, because that's what the rule, the rule says, that they can wear it to the collar but not below the collar. So okay. are you saying that – okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I don't want to I don't want to say that I know that it's a quarter inch longer. I know that it is long. I just know that it's long. Um, but to answer the, the pastor's um question, yes sir, I immediately went to Russ County. Um I met with two Caucasian deputies and they met me in the hall. They took a statement. I showed them a Facebook post. I then one of the deputies asked me to email it to his personal email so that they would have it. Um, I wasn't sure how to do it, so he took my cell phone, and he did it himself. At about 10 o'clock that morning, I got a call from the investigator who told me that they didn't find it to be a direct threat um, and that, you know, maybe he was just a 35-year-old man looking for attention. Um, I was very hurt because I'm not sure how they interpret the word blast, but the actual Facebook post said that somebody needs to blast his ass. Um, Later that day, um, I immediately went and bought some no trespassing for my property. I went out and bought um, a gun, and it's registered to my name. Um, and ammunition, because I felt like if Russ County was not going to um, protect my grandson, I would. I continued to send my my grandson to school. By this time, I had uh, retained an attorney, and after speaking with my attorney, he explained to me that they were violating my grandson's First Amendment right to freedom of expression because it was nonverbal, nonviolent, and wasn't causing a commotion. It's his natural hair in a ponytail. And he told me to go ahead and send my grandson to school the best way, most comfortable for him, because he had been complaining about the bobby pins. So I went ahead and sent him to school in a ponytail. And I got a phone call from the principal telling me that I needed to come up and pick him up because he was out of compliance. And I told her that I would come up there, but I was not going to pick him up because he was not out of compliance. He was in compliance. He was well-groomed and well-dressed. So I came up there that day, and I took his hair out of a ponytail, um, and I just pinned it up because I don't know how to braid. So the next day, I sent him to school, and the principal called me, and she told me that I had a choice. I could either come and pick him up, or he is to stay in the office all day. After talking with my attorney, he told me to allow Tink to stay at school where he could get his learning, um, but that I was 
within my rights to send him to school. So every single day for two weeks, Tatum ISD would take my grandson off the school bus and immediately take him to the office where he was in isolation from other children. He was not able to have lunch. He was not able to go to recess. He was immediately taken from the school bus into the office where he sat in a room by himself and unattended. Okay, so, um, ma'am, you said, you said that, excuse me just a second, you said that he was not able to eat during the whole course of the day? Not with peers. No, no he oh, was not, not able to eat with other children. He had to take oh, his lunch into the office. Okay, okay. all right. Which, which is questions. a federal violation, multiple exactly. federal violations. Exactly, because they're, they're, they're charging for the food. Let me just ask okay. you this. When Russ County detectives talked to you, did they give you anything in writing rejecting uh, or did they give you a copy of the police report where you gave them the statement? No, no, sir. They called me over the phone and um, they just told me that they were not going because initially that morning the two deputies told me that um, the, le- the, the least thing that they would do would be able to have a patrol car to come around my house every so often. No, well, here, here, they, what here what I'm asking. When you talk to them, they're supposed to take a police report, okay? They're supposed okay. to give you a, poli- a number uh, to call the detectives and give you a case number. Did you ever get a case number? Did, you ever, did they ever take a police report? They took a re- police report, and I okay. never got a police. So, okay, I so never what you got need to do is have your attorney to request a copy of the police report because that's most impar- that's most paramount. Okay, uh, yes, that's where we come in. They fail necessary diligence to not take a police report and investigate. You can't. A detective can't come up to come to a conclusion that. Uh, my threat is not valid without investigating. Once it's investigated, it has to go either to the DA to decide whether the DA, which I know the DA of Russ County very well, to decide whether he wants to file the case or not. If he decides not to file it, he still has a fiduciary responsibility to give it to the grand jury. Okay? The grand jury will then decide whether the threat is, whether the person who made the threat has the uh, ability to carry out the threat. Okay, or so 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 there's a number of steps that we need to go, and I I, I'm going to ask now, Dr. McKellar. uh, I think that her giving this information in a public forum and setting like now, uh, there's some things that she's going to say that she shouldn't say until after this has been adjudicated. Her attorney should have told her. That I'm telling her that now, particularly because we have a situation where they made a public threat on, on, on Facebook for anybody that was, is looking at it can now take the threat, okay? And the fact that she went and armed herself because she felt that the threat could have been carried out, uh, I, I think that she needs to go to the federal authorities because this is now a federal case, and let them investigate from here. You know, I, I mean, I would love to ask her a lot of questions, but if anything that we ask her is going to be on tape, and it will be used in a later date when their attorneys go after this information and discover it. 
I'm just going to say that. Okay. okay let me, let me, let me all, yes, these are new things that, because I investigated a lot of things today to prepare for this, and I didn't know anything about the Facebook post and, or, the, or the weapon. Uh, this is all new and, to me. And the, fact, and, and the fact that she has an attorney. Well, right. that's what I wanted to be. Well, my well you, you no longer have an attorney, right? No, I still have an attorney, and he is listening to this podcast. Okay. Oh, okay. good. Very good. Well, okay, let me let me ask you this question, ma'am. Let me ask you this. Uh, I know that that the Head Start she's in the Head Start program, right? Yes, and the Head Start program sits, even though it's not part of Tatum ISD, it's being occupied by one of the buildings of of Tatum ISD. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so it's under the re- it's under region is it region seven that it's under? Yes, yes, ma'am. It's okay, under region seven. Okay, so because it's under region seven, I know that that's a, they have different rules because it's not really part of TISD. I'm, I'm saying TISD Tatum ISD. So therefore, then when you went to talk to the principal, did you was there a time where you demonstrated how? that the baby's hair was going to be uh, you, the way you were going to fix his hair to go to school, and the principal said that that was okay, the way that you were going to send the baby to school? Was, okay. that, was there a so, conversation let between me, you and the principal in regards to that particular I'm question? Not, well, I'm not sure what question you're asking. I only met with Initially, the principal mm-hmm. told me I have two options. So it was just braid it or cut it. The superintendent okay. then, again, told me I could braid it or cut it or put him in a dress. I never met back with the principal about his hair other than her calling every day to tell me that I needed to come up and pick him up. Um, so I, I, I don't. Again, I, I hear the pastor. I'm not – only thing I wanted to go back and say that I think it's very important is that when the detective called me, he told mm-hmm. me that he was not going to pursue. I explained to him at that point that the young man's job felt like it was a threat because they had fired him that day. He told me he would call me back. He would contact the prosecutor the district attorney, he contacted the district attorney and called me back within 20 minutes and told me that the district attorney said that it was not a threat. At that point, that was the last time that I spoke to Russ County until I got arrested. You got um, arrested? Yes, sir. And that, um, yes, sir. I am now charged with a felony. So I kind of want to just lay it all out so that you guys can get, you know, get it, get it. Um, I continue to send my grandson to school, and they continue to put him in isolation where he was not with other children. Um, Once I went and bought the ammunition and the gun, and everything is legal and registered, I'm a law-abiding citizen, um, the school contacted CPS and told CPS the day of my protest. I held a protest, um, and CPS was called to my home, 
and CPS told me that they were there because they had a complaint that there was firearms and possibly drugs in my home. They knocked on my door. I invited them both in. There was a Hispanic and a black lady. I invited them both in, at which time they, um, I told them that I needed to contact my attorney before we finished the interview. Um, I called my attorney. He was on the speaker because he lives in California, and they introduced themselves to him, and he asked them what was the nature of their business. That's when they explained that they had a call that I had a gun in the home. Well, my grandson was at school. He was at school, and the young lady by the name of Brittany, um, she explained to me that she had just left the school because they wanted to interview my grandson before they came to the house and that she found my grandson in a room all alone crying and in distress at school, unsupervised. Um, She then asked me if I had running water. I told them to, let's just take a whole tour of my house. Because one of the things that I am very prideful about is the way that I keep my house. And I had no idea that they were coming. So my house is just always clean. So I invited them to not only my sink, but let's go to both of my bathrooms. And we turned on the water. They wanted to then see if I had food. I asked them to take pictures of my pantry and all of my cabinets. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked them if they would like to see Michael's room, and she said, well, sure. So I took him in, and she asked me if she could take a picture of his ceiling in his room because I have his whole room decorated. I told her, sure. Um, We went back into the living room, and she told me that she had – this is where we get to the reason of their visit. Did I have a gun? And I told her, yes, ma'am, I have a gun, and she asked me to retrieve it. And I told her, oh, no, ma'am, I'm not going to retreat it. We're going to retreat it together. And so I asked both of them to get up from the couch and let's go get my gun together. And they did. They came into my room where I retrieved my gun in their presence. I asked them to take a picture of where they find it. They took a Mm -hmm. picture of my gun. It was locked in a case, and the key was nowhere around. Um, She then asked me, Um, if we could go back into the living room, because I wanted them to walk with me. I don't ever want it to be said that I went and got it by myself. So we go back into the living room, and they told me that they were going to conclude. One one question. One question. Your attorney was on the phone at the time that you did this? Yes, sir. He was was on the phone the whole time. Okay. Uh, Dr. McKellar, Mm -hmm. can you punch her, let her attorney push one so he can be in on this conversation? I, actually, I can, Ms. Rihanna has to do it. I can't because I, I couldn't okay. get in, so Ms. Rihanna has me connected. Rihanna, can you find out where the attorney is and let him in? Yes. Uh, can you give us the first uh, six digits of that number, ma'am, his area code, and then the first three numbers of his phone, and we'll bring the attorney in? Sure. He may have just pressed one. Area code, the, okay. the area code is 415. Okay. 415. Northern California. Okay. Oh, yes, I do. I have a southern northern. Here we go. Okay. Okay. What, what is his open, name? Sir. Ma'am, what's his name? 
Joaquin McCoy. Uh, Attorney McCoy? Yes. Hello? Good good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you guys? Good. We're great. I'm Bishop Gilbrey. I am a member of the American Bar Association, and there are certain rules and regulations that I must adhere to, so I want to make sure that if you were on, that you could please advise your client before she says something that we don't want on tape. So I wanted to have you in so that you can interrupt at any time, uh, being as yeah. though you authorized this this interview. Great. Okay. You can go ahead, ma'am. Ma'am, the question uh, that I have of you, let me ask you a couple. First of all, I want to ask you how the boys are doing, because I understand there is you have two grandsons. Is that correct? No, sir. No, ma'am. I okay, so, so Cox is not okay. You just have Michael. Okay, let me ask you this, ma'am. Did you speak? Did you speak to um, the uh, education board? Because since this, even though this is a private school, it sits on the campus, so therefore it has to follow the uh, rules and regs of CISD, uh, Tatum ISD. Have you spoken with the uh, school board? I know you yes, spoke with the superintendent. Okay, what did they have to say about all of this? Well, we've had to, actually, my attorney could probably tell you, but yes, ma'am, I have filed a complaint with CEA. I filed a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights. Um, I met with the school board. We had a hearing um, where they refused to um, allow my grandson back in school. They kicked him out October 15th. Um, and that's where I was leading to, how they um, – I continued to send him to school, and I've never driven Michael to school. The school bus has always picked him up. On October 15th, I sent him to school at 645. Um, the principal called me. I was actually having a meeting with the president of the NAACP of Carthage. Her name is Bernice Smith, and I was in her home when I received a phone call from the school telling me to come and pick him up, I told them, they told me that he was expelled. Um, and by the, on the advice of my attorney, he explained to me that I could go and pick him up, but that they needed to give me an expulsion letter. The school refused to give me a letter stating why they were going to expel him, so I told them that I'm not coming. I'll come as soon as you guys tell me that there will be a letter in the front office on school letterhead. Um, and that was the last call. At 345 when the school bus came back to my home, my grandson never got off the bus. And because he had gotten that death threat um, seven to ten days prior, I was nervous. I was frantic. I, I was crying. I called the police department letting them know that my four-year-old grandson did not get off the school bus. Um, I tried calling the school. The school would not take my calls. Um, and I was just crying. So when I notified Tatum Police Department um, that my grandson was missing, I spoke to an officer, Allison, and he told me, well, Miss Woodley, um, I'll call you back. We'll try to locate him. And I said, you know, he's four. He's what do you mean you're going to try to locate him? He's four. <laughs> and he told me, well, we'll call you back. So at about maybe 30 minutes later, he called me back and told me that my grandson was at school and that I needed to come up there. When I got up to the school, 
I went into the office, and there was the principal, my grandson, and two officers. I immediately went in to ask her why didn't they send him home on the school bus, and the police stopped me. And they told me, for me not to say another word, that they were issuing me out a criminal trespass. And I asked them, for what? What have I done? I've never been up here. I've never been belligerent. I've never, why, you guys called me up here because you didn't send my grandbaby home. And he told me that he needed me to sign this criminal trespass warning. Um, I refused to sign it. I took my grandson, and that was the last time that he was enrolled in school. That was their way of kicking him out of school without giving me an expulsion letter by withholding him from the school bus making me think that he had been kidnapped or endangered somehow and that that is not evidence as of yet my question to you at this point is what were you arrested for on october 25th i was sitting in my home that was the second day of my protest my protest was supposed to start at 6 30 that evening because it was a home game. At about 5 o'clock, me and my grandson are sitting at home alone. I get a knock at the door. I open the door, and there's three cop cars, two Russ County Sheriff's officers and one Tatum police officer. I opened the door, um, and he asked me my name. I gave him my name, and he immediately grabbed me. Um, I was standing in my front door with a gown on, and I began to cry, and I asked him, what are you doing? Why are you grabbing my hand? And he told me he was putting me under arrest, that I had a warrant for my arrest for child endangerment as well as perjury. And I said, what? Child endangerment? And he said, yes, I continue to send my grandson to school when I was told that he no longer goes to that school. Okay. So you were arrested for perjury and for yes. child endangerment. Yes, which is a felony three. Okay. So How did I was you arrested. Hold on, please. So at this point, the attorney that's on the phone now is your attorney representing you in that case? No, I don't have an attorney for that case. That's a criminal case. And I don't have an attorney because at this point, I was arrested October 25th. I, I was not released until 24 hours later on October 26th. Um, I've never been taken to the grand jury. I've never been indicted. Okay, I've never received now, any now, type now, of court order. I, I understand. I'm trying to, to get a an understanding of what you're charged with and who swore out that arrest. So... The perjury charge is based on something that you said or signed. What is the perjury I've charge? Never... Okay. So they never gave when they, when they had you in custody. In order for them to release you on your own recognizance, they had to give you a paper to sign promising to go back to court. What okay, sir. Mean? I was not released. I was not released on my own recognizance. I have a twenty thousand dollar bond and a twenty five thousand dollar bond where I have to call in to a bail bondsman every Tuesday, um, where I call in tomorrow, every Tuesday. Um, I've had no, I had it, I didn't sign anything. Um, I haven't received any court paperwork. I don't even have a case number. Um, I was arrested for retaliation 
although no, that's not my, my charge. My charge is child endangerment. The reason I feel like it's retaliation is because I have not yet been indicted. I have not received any type of court paperwork. So when I called to see if I even have a case number, at this point I don't even have a case number, and that was October 25th. Okay. So I have one other question, then I can digress and that you continue the, the interview. Uh, I'm only going to admonish that until you get an attorney for the criminal charges, that you be very careful uh, the information that you that you put out there in the public, because upon discovery, they will be able to use all of that information um, not to help you. And it's just like any other case when you've been you've, you've been arrested. They say even you say can and will be used against you. Okay, I believe well, that you I, have. Let me jump in here and ask our attorney real quickly. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, first of all, we know they don't have a case against her. They uh, basically don't have any evidence whatsoever to charge her with any of these claims. And basically, the district attorney has said that he's going to drop the uh, the complaint against her. There was this probable cause statement that was issued. Uh, that's one of the reasons why she was arrested. However, they have no evidence to support the claim that their charges that they're making against her because she didn't abandon her grandson. He actually was uh, placed on the bus and sent to school. So they know they have no evidence, and he is still enrolled in Head Start. Um, and so the probable cause statement that was drafted by this uh, police officer was drafted because he was actually helping Tatum shut her up from protesting, okay, because we know that his wife is a school teacher at the school in Tatum. And uh, basically, Miss Woodley was challenging her boss. But in any event, there is no evidence to support any of these charges. And that's why we know that they will never bring a case against her. Well, so, sir, you feel, you feel that all of this is going to be dropped from oh, yes, her, and you feel sure. that? Okay. So you have talked to uh, Michael Jamerson, the DA of, of Russ County? Well, I had sent him a letter so that he could talk to me. He wanted to talk to someone local down in, in Texas, um, and he wouldn't really respond to my request for him to tell me I'll, what he's going to do with her case. But well, we know that he, know, Well, we, he has talked to an attorney and told another attorney that we know of, and he told that attorney he was going to dismiss her case, but he was afraid of what his constituents would say or feel about him dismissing her case. Over in Tatum. Yeah, in Tatum. Right. So Okay. <laughs> this is this is the mess uh, that I know that they have in East Texas, good old boy network. Um and and her being from, from Compton, California, I know she's used to a real judicial system where in, in East Texas it, it's not. Um Dr. McKellar said well, that. She, yeah, let me ask Miss Edwina. Miss Edwina, how did you end up? How did you end up in East Texas? What's your time in East Texas? My mother is born and raised here. My mother was born in a house across the street from me. Um, the where my house sits, we own all of this land up here. So my mother was born and raised here. When she retired, she moved back to Tatum. Um, so. Both sides of my family is born and raised here. 
I was not born and raised here, so they see me as an outsider um, because I am vocal, and what the gentleman just said is correct. I am used to um, fair, or even if it's not fair, it's not blatant, just like I'm used to the NAACP standing up. And for me to have sat at three president's offices, three of them, Longview, Marshall, and Carthage, and for not one of them to assist me in anything. I reached out to them before I had an attorney, hoping that they could help me find an attorney. Um, I'm not used to this. I live in fear now. Um, Tatum is so small, we don't even have a stoplight. So everybody in Tatum is aware of who I am. My grandson was out of school for three months. Um, I was arrested. My my uh, mugshot has gone all over the United States. Um, my my, I've even reached out to the state representative. I reached out to Mr. Claudie's office, where I spoke to his chief of staff in Austin. These people have called me, assured me that they would call me back. They were going to look into it. They didn't know that this was going on in in this district. I've reached out to Representative Sheila Jackson Lee and spoke to a Edward, um, and I'm just—it's it, just really hard for me, you know. My grandson well, has did, never did you reach out to your, Did you reach out to the representative that represents you here in this? Are, are no, you an active voter? Are you? Please, are you please involved? Don't. <laughs> no, no. This please is don't what do that. <laughs> please don't no. do that. Let me just <laughs> um, say this. Ma'am, I've already let, reached out to you. Ask, let me, let me just say, let me Dr. McKellar, question. Dr. McKellar. Yes, before, yes. Before we continue, ma'am, let me say yes. this. I've reached out to your attorney already. I just called him to give him my number. Um, you have a great case. Um, when I mean great, I mean that justice can't prevail, okay? Um, Tatum has received millions of dollars from the oil refineries. They get most of their money from their school district from the oil refineries. Okay, so I so you know that they don't have to play by they don't have to play by uh, a number of the rules that a, a lot of schools do in East Texas when uh, in the sixty five uh, when they decided to integrate a lot of the schools a lot of school districts did not integrate they decided to self fund so that they would not have to adhere to the federal laws uh, when Tatum became in compliance. And one of those schools that did integrate, uh, most of the funding that would have came from the federal government, uh, it was subsidized from the oil industry. Uh, and that good old boy network of everybody being married to everybody and everybody, that's what you kind of stepped into. And many of the you know, NAACP uh, or any other organization or, or attorneys, they don't like to fight the system because you're fighting, you're fighting probably you know, uh, a system that – hasn't been beat. Uh, I, I've been involved in, in disputes over their football team, getting players from other districts and moving them into their district. So I understand. What I can say is I'm glad that you have uh, documented all of the things along the way. And you do show that you were uh, arrested as a reprisal for you going down to the very sheriff's department to make a complaint. That's why it's going to be very paramount for you to get those reports uh, proving that you did this 
step, and then they did this as a reprisal. Uh, the law was CPA coming to your home uh, and asking to see the gun. One of the things that we know in East Texas is that you have a right to have a gun in your home. They should have never requested to see the gun. Taking pictures of the gun was unnecessary. And some of the things that were done to you were done to scare you, were done to intimidate you. But you have one situation that I, I hope that is in writing. When he asks you to put your son in a dress, or your grandson in a dress, did he verbally say that to you? Or was there anything ever written that you needed to put your uh, grandson in a dress to keep his hair like that? He verbally is said it, it to me. Verbally he verbally said, he verbally said it to me once, but then the very next day, I had a closed meeting with the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, myself, and my son, because okay. I knew that I needed other people to hear what he said. So in that okay. private meeting, I reiterated what he had said to me. And he then said it again that that okay. was an option. Was anyone in the room taking notes while you guys, or did they record the meeting? When you have a conference like that, there's usually someone there that is not communicating, but they're taking capricious notes. Those notes can be um, subpoenaed. So no, sir. We're, we're, no one was taking notes. Well, it doesn't matter if your son was there and he heard it, be, because what I'm interested. in in is the fact that he's willing to um, Im impress upon you to put your grandson in a dress in order to wear a shirt like that, indicating that a transgendered four-year-old would have more rights than a normal little boy just wearing his hair. Well, I would I like to set the record straight because this is very important to me. Not only would I never consider putting my grandson in a dress? My, my grandson has never, ever, under any circumstances, dressed like a female at all. Right. He is all oh, boy. I, I understand that, ma'am. I think that's part of, that would be part of your attendant uh, of your lawsuit, is that that was given as an option. That wasn't, that wasn't even on the table. That was never, it was never brought up by you. It was never indicated by your grandson. So it should have never been posed as a, an option to put your grandson in a dress. I agree. I actually feel as though if I didn't look the way that I looked, he wouldn't have given that to me as an option. But that's just my own personal belief. And that's why I was very appalled when he suggested it, I just felt like if if I didn't look the way that I looked, um, that would not have been an option. Um, and just to go Man, back let me, to what let me you ask you, can I may I jump in and ask you a couple of questions? Tell me who uh, Cambray Cox is. She is a mother of another little boy that is a part of my case. Okay, how First, does that uh, how does Kaylin? fit into that case well the, her son well, once, I, once I started the village um the Facebook group that I started is called the village and once mm -hmm. I started the village um I realized that there was another mother who child attends the primary who was having problems um Kellen's hair is in dreadlocks it's not um 
it's not very long, but they had a problem with her pulling her her son's hair up out of his face. And so she became a part of the movement. And um, when I obtained or retained my attorney, he um, is also representing her in the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's what? He's five? He is five. Your baby is four and he's five. No, he just turned six. I'm sorry. He just turned six. He's in kindergarten, okay. and my grandson is four in head start. So then now he is actually in Tatum ISD now, because he's in kindergarten. No, no he's, he's been in... picked out as well. So he now oh. attends school in Henderson. Okay, and what about your baby? Where does he attend? Or does he attend um, school now? Well, January the 9th, I went ahead and enrolled him into Longview School District after he had been kicked out for three months. He has been diagnosed with PTSD, and um, he is now going to a counselor. Um, and is that within the school district or independently? No, he goes for independent counselor. And he's been diagnosed with PTSD. Okay. And so are you still employed now or are you? No, ma'am. I was, I was laid off from the coal mine where I was a heavy equipment operator. Um, so I was laid off July 14th prior to all of this. And oh, so okay. I was on unemployment, but I'm no longer on unemployment. And is that because of all this federal issues? Um, yeah, no, ma'am. Um, my unemployment okay. ran out, so I okay. started looking for a job. Um, and I used to be a sergeant with the prison department, so I went back to try to get a job in the prison system. But because of this felony, it has made it hard for me to retain any type of employment. So now I'm just a sit-at-home grandmother. Okay. So you transport him over to Longview to school. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay, well, I, I, I'm i sorry that all of these things are, are happening with you, and uh, I, I wish you well. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us uh, before we end the interview? Um, I'm just asking for everybody to please keep me and my grandson in prayer. Um, I do live in fear. Tatum is very small. Um, yes. I'm not employed. Um, I'm not. I'm just. I would like to find a job. So just keep us in your prayers because again, I am very afraid. It's just me and him in this house, and I have no income now. And I can't find a job because of this felony that's on my record. And what about his parents? Whose parents? My grandson? Your grandson's parents. Well, I have full custody of him. I had him since he was four months old. I was uh, granted custody in Gregg County, which is in Longview, by a judge there. So mm-hmm. I am his only parent, parental. Okay. Well. We're gonna we're gonna uh, get or I'm gonna get with your attorney and uh, hopefully we can get you a GoFundMe started. But I want to be able to 
communicate with you that there are certain things about uh, this that should not get out to the public until after you have resolved, uh, we have resolved the felony. Uh, I don't think that you should have the arrest. I want it expunged. Uh, I know Michael Jamerson very well. He's a very fair person, and he is correct that Tatum has his own little uh, rules and rigs. But there are certain things, that, you know, I think this is a false arrest. And um, so I am going to assist you as best I can. Um, you know, sometimes we have to go through this. I'm not sure if you know it or not, but there has been a number of African-American athletes and uh, young graduates that were refused their prom because of uh, their hair, and which has prompted one of our state uh, senators here in California to uh, pass a law in the state of California that you can't be denied uh, any uh, public funding, uh, access to public buildings, or anything else in the state of California because of your hair, including school uh, or job. Um, so uh, Texas don't have that law. However, I think that uh, whenever you file a federal lawsuit, uh, they have to go uh, off of cases that have been uh, already heard in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court of California and the Supreme Court has heard a case uh, dealing with hair. So, you know, that being said, you know, you have a very good standing. I think that, you know, the things that you're going through right now uh, will definitely help your punitive damages because had you not gone through anything, then they would say there's no um, – you know, there, there, there's no pain and suffering. Um, you mentioned quite a few violations that I, I know of. You can't expel, and I know Dr. McKellar knows this because of her many years in school. You can't expel someone without giving them documentation, okay? Mm-hmm. You can't hold culpable a parent for not picking up a child when she explicitly told you that she was not picking up the child without the paperwork. So that's you know, I don't. I haven't seen anything. I don't know anything. But what I can say is that they they called CPS when you refused to pick up the child without the paperwork. Then uh, they probably have tried to get the perjury on you making the accusation that had not been adjudicated or had not been uh, prosecuted. However, those are cases that are all reprisals. So. Um, just stay strong, you know, uh, take the mental, you know, take time to get you a, 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 a memo pad and write down the dates and times and things that have occurred because, you know, as these months go by, things will become foggy. And when you get into federal litigation, uh, everything has to be uh, as close and as to accuracy as you can get it. Because that's where they will lie and commit a federal crime of lying, you know. Uh, and we want to make sure that you have your facts together because this is bullying, uh, no more than racial bullying, and they've been allowed to get away with it. But, you know, if they're going to be on a public campus, if they were on a private uh, uh, campus, uh, then they could have rules and regulations and have you to sign off your federal rights. But being as though they're on a, uh, a state-funded campus, 
they have to adhere to the federal and state laws and guidelines uh, in governing education. So, you know, all I can say is I'm glad that I did tune in tonight and, and, and hear that, you know, this struggle is, is, is continuing. Uh, all I want to say to our listeners is that many of the uh, 300 judges that were uh, appointed by uh, uh, this administration uh, will see things somewhat like these school district and, and, and these people see things. When we say it, it's not just a right to get out to vote, it is your responsibility. At some point, we're going to start to realize that if you're going to get justice, uh, it's going to end up in a courtroom. And if you waive your uh, God-gifted responsibility to vote certain people in office, chances are you're going to get in front of a judge who is not going to see you as a person, as a taxpaying citizen, and they're going to treat you indifferently. So it's important. And today it's this lady and her grandchild. Uh, tomorrow could be you. Many times that uh, Dr. Keller and I have been in the forefront whether it was in Tyler, Texas, or whether it was in Jasper, Texas, or Henderson, Texas. Um, we find that many people don't want to get involved because of fear of losing their job, fear of losing their, uh, their loan to their home. Uh, many of the listeners had never heard of, uh, of a, a bank calling the note because someone who works in the bank is also on the school district or uh, in the police department or a husband or a spouse to one. So these things happen. And they happen in East Texas, they happen in California, they happen everywhere. They but happen everywhere. When we, when we forget yes. that these organizations like the NAACP and ACLU and the Southern Law uh, Poverty uh, Center are set up to file lawsuits for these types of injustices, to take the burden, the financial burden, off of the persons who are going through it. You know, sometimes it takes years to get justice. It took the chief of police in Jasper, Texas, to which myself and Dr. Keller started fighting for. It took him three years, but he was awarded almost $900,000 for being removed uh, as the first African-American chief of police for no other than being black. So these type of things happen. When we get into the fights, a lot of times it's dark. But, you know, uh, this is what we're supposed to be doing, and this is the right time that we're supposed to be doing it. I digress. Ma'am, thank you for sharing your story with Marvelous Monday, and uh, hopefully we can get you the justice that you see. Thank you so much. Miss, uh, yes, ma'am. And let me just tell you that we did, we did pull your report. I hope that you're keeping up with it, but it was you were listed in, uh, on CNN as well as Fox News, and actually you went nationwide with this case. Uh, so we will keep tracking and keep following, and so we're concerned about your little boy, because that's the, that's the primary little person that we want to make sure that he gets all the help uh, that he possibly needs in order for him to to function as a four-year-old. So keep us abreast on uh, on what is happening with your case, and uh, Bishop Guillory will will assist you in any ways. He's he's there in California as well. So uh, he can talk to us. Is there anything that you want to say before we leave? Uh, no, no. We, uh, we need your support and we are appreciative of it. And hopefully um, we can get the NWACP, uh, the ACLU is always 
already been already been involved in the case. Okay. Uh, so we just uh, thank you for your support. Okay. All and right. I thank get... you, sir. We appreciate it. Bless you. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Anna, I think I have wow. a, a someone that's hang, hanging in the wings, and I'm going to give you the number. Uh, well, actually, we'll ask him, and that is uh, Mr. Michael Tolbert, uh, who is on, and he will press one. We will bring him in. He's running for account re-election of, uh, of the Democratic Party, uh, the Democratic chair of the Smith County Democratic Party. Uh, Mr. Michael, are we, you there? We actually have a, a whole bunch of numbers that have already pressed okay. one. <laughs> so it, maybe give me an area code. <laughs> it's, a, it's a 903 area code, Michael Talbert. Whoa. Michael Talbert, if you would press one, please. Hello. Okay. Yes. Uh, good evening. How are you? Welcome to Marvelous Monday. Good evening. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for holding in the wings there while we uh, took care of that first interview. And thank you for coming on to be with us. Please go ahead and, and begin by giving us a little uh, snafu of who you are and uh, the position that you have held and, and uh and, and your re-election and all the things, your, your opening statement, in other words. Go right ahead. My name is Michael Talbert. I am the chairman of the Smith County Democratic Party. I was voted in by our county executive committee in November of 2016 after the presidential election. I have served in that role ever since I was re-elected in 2018. Um, I've been in Tyler since... 99. Uh, okay. came here probably because my family had land that had been in the family for almost 100 years. And this was a home place. I uh, wanted to get back closer to family. Uh, I've been here ever since. I uh, got involved in politics in 2008, partly because of injustice. You know, as uh, Bishop Gilroy was saying, um, the lack of justice is everywhere, and a lot of times it is in small towns where there's a lack of light, a lack of scrutiny on the system. Right. You know, usually yeah. when you, you shed light on injustice, that, that tends to uh, reduce it. So there's a lot of that, you know, in our area, unfortunately. Right. So uh, I, I've been involved in local politics ever since, you know, from the local, state, to federal level, advocating for uh, legislation, particularly to improve conditions in family courts. You know, that was one of the biggest issues that I saw is that, you know, after parents separate, the children still need two parents. Yeah. And our, our, for whatever reason, you know, I, I think it's, there's kind of a authoritarian mentality in uh, East Texas and, you know, several other small towns in this area. And, um, I don't think they fully appreciate that there are parents that are, are sincere about staying in their children's lives. So that's what fueled my initial interest in getting involved. And, you know, just uh, the more I got into it, the more I realized that there was a need. And, you know, that's why I've been here to fulfill that need. Great. And tell us how old, and let us know you have a son, a lovely, smart young man. How old is he now? He's 12. He's uh, doing well in school. You know, he's on the honor roll. He plays the violin. 
<laughs> and and you you have full custody or you have partially partially custody? It's partial. It's partial. Partial custody. Okay. All but right. And you you made an excellent point for the mere fact that just because parents cannot stay together does not mean that the children don't need and require to. I don't know if you heard our prior interview, this grandmother who is rearing her four-year-old grandson. I don't know if you heard that interview or not. Parts of it, yes. Okay. Okay. So now we know that you're up for for reelection, and you have a you have a candidate that's running against you. So let us know then why you would be the very best uh, candidate for that position. Uh, and of course, we know that you've worked in that position. So I I know you have that uh, under your belt. What else aside from the fact that you have the experience of working as a a candidate. You know, and I don't want to. Um, in that position, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. I, you know, I don't want to make light of the importance of experience, but it's not just any experience. It's relevant experience. You know, I've done a lot of other things in terms of volunteering and community service, but in the position of county chair, you need a broad range of experience. You know, whether it's, you know, specific to politics, whether it's law. You know, just a, a, and, and then also having the temperament. You know, one of the things about political parties is that in some regards, they are a public entity. So we have to deal with all sorts of situations. We deal with all types of people. So having the temperament and the judgment to deal with people is important. And, yeah. um, you know, just, just, People that have dealt with me, people that have dealt with me, you know, that's one of the common things that I hear is that Mm -hmm. I have the the temperament to deal with the variety of situations that come up in in this position. So let me say this. I'm the one. A county chair does so that people will know that that's listening to us will know exactly what that position actually consists of. Okay, so we are the chair of our county executive committee, which is comprised of all of the precinct chairs. Uh, The county chair is responsible for organizing our primary election. Um, Here in Smith County, we also hire a primary administrator to assist with that process. Uh, The day-to-day business of handling, you know, the, the legal the communications, the personnel issues of the local party, everything that is involved with the local county party, the chair is responsible for doing. There is no single job description that comes along with the position. Whatever it takes is what I have to do. Um, There was a a very dear friend that I truly respect that said, asked me one time, "How how do you follow all the things that come up? Well, it's one of those things where it's just expected that when I get a call about an issue, if I don't know it, I have to drop everything and research it and be prepared mm-hmm. to, to respond to it. Exactly. Okay. Well, now, hello. I, Dr. McKellar. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that this gentleman is more than just a gentleman and a scholar. One of the biggest issues I had with the Democrat, uh, the former Democrat uh, chair, of not only Gregg County, but Russ County and some of the other counties, is that they were not inclusive. 
and mm-hmm. they didn't they weren't able to bring uh many of the democrat uh office holders or those who were running for public office down into the East Texas area to galvanize the Democrat vote. Nor did they, uh, as he said, do researching to ensure that East Texas was heard in Austin. So uh, you and I know when you were running for Congress, we had very, I mean, it took years before they would even galvanize and, and get behind the Democrat candidate. So mm-hmm. your experience, right. I mean, I've been able to read and hear things that you are, are, are now and, uh, you know, are being seen as a, a must stop. You know, if, if, if a person is running for uh, Congress, uh, they have to stop there. Uh, Louis Gohmert and others have been able to raise a lot of money in East, deep East Texas, as they call it, but having to have a, uh, attend town hall meetings. Are having their 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 voice heard. Uh, myself as well as Dr. McKellar have been called to Austin to uh, speak uh, in hearings. And when we were the some of the first even invited to go to Austin to speak on issues. So right. that alone should put you way above uh, whoever this opponent is. Uh, I can say. Well, what can the, I ask him a question? You can, sure. you can ask him a question. Absolutely. Here. Okay. Oh, hi. Okay. Okay. Hey, Miss Arthur. How are you? Hi, hi. Go ahead. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, um, hey look here. You know, and 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 uh, you know, and Mr. McKell knows that that my issue is that voting spot they got down there. He stays at that little jailhouse. Now, uh, I want to know: is that part of your campaign? Are you are you are are, are you are you about getting uh, uh, addressing voter suppression? Because in East Texas. That's a that's like a I mean that's like a you know, that's like one of the lungs that they breathe with down there voter suppression. So what are you gonna do? I want to know as far as voter suppression. Like hey, you got a current case right now where they got instead of picking one of the colleges, they pick a juvenile uh, detention center. <clears throat> so uh, uh, Bishop, who's gonna check that? The location, Bishop Gillery. Excuse me. You, you know the location. And, and, and yep, I don't know who that was to ask Okay, let me explain. So what, what this gentleman is asking is... Who, who, is the, who asked the question? What's his name? Get, Give the gentleman's name. Mr. Arthur. Who asked, Arthur. He gave his name. He said Mr. Arthur. Arthur okay, Fleming out of Dallas, Texas. And so, okay. so to brief you on the question that he's asking is that the county court system here... Uh, the county commissioners decided to place a voting booth in the juvenile jail system, uh, in the lobby of the juvenile jail, where you and I went to court on behalf right. of one right. of our okay. So now he now I received a phone call from the DOJ talking about why this location was selected. I turned them over to. Um, the county commissioner, and so now he's asking, he's asking Mr. Talbot, did he go along with that, or just, uh, what what his feelings are in regards to having that location? So go ahead, Mr. Well, Michael. No, 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 no. I want to ask is, can he help? Can can he help? Can he fight? Is he going to be fighting voter suppression uh, in general and East Texas as he campaigns? 
Okay, Arthur, what's your last name? Fleming. Fleming. Fleming, okay. Uh, first, let me respond to what the previous spoke speaker talked about. He talked about the prominence that um, East Texas is gaining on a statewide level. I, I do not by any means want to take uh, credit or blame for that. You know, that is the work of a lot of people. You know, uh, Ms. McKellar, you know, ran a very energetic campaign. A lot of that credit goes to her. There are other activist groups in Smith County that are doing a lot of good things. And if we can harness all of that talent and energy towards a common purpose, we can do even better. So first I want to address that and thank you for those comments. As far as the 35th polling location, when, uh, when we first learned about this, my uh, primary administrator and I were at the elections office and the elections administrator mentioned just as an, oh, by the way, we have a new voting location. And um, she told me at the time, she said that there was a group that had threatened to sue the county because there was no polling place in a highly Hispanic area. So my first question to her was, uh, where is it, and how did they choose that location? And it turned out it is what is now called the Juvenile Attention Center or the Juvenile Justice Center. Okay, so she indicated that that was the location. And my next question was, was that group okay with that location? Because they were the one that initiated it, and they were the one that was advocating for this new location, okay? Nobody in the uh, county party, nobody, no, no one other than the commissioner's court and the county legal department knew anything about that process until then. Even the other commissioners on the commissioner's court did not know about it at that point, okay? And the, so, community, and the, community, didn't know, and the community didn't know at that point. Go ahead. Right, that's obvious. Yeah, nobody knew about it except for the, the judge and the um, county attorney. So okay. um, my primary administrator shared this with uh, some activist groups here, and all of a sudden uh, it, it, it blew up into, you know, some things that it wasn't. You know, when I – once this got out into the press, I talked to our county judge about it and asked him details on how this came about. He said that they had received an email from a group called the Texas Civil Rights Project. And, uh, Ms. McKellar, you may recognize that group. That group was brought here by our Democratic Club president, Nancy Nichols. So okay. apparently this group – got involved here in Smith County because of that connection with Nancy Nichols, you know, in her capacity as president of the Democratic Club. So this had all happened behind the scenes without them telling anybody in the party. So I asked the uh, county judge for copies of the documents. You know, he shared those with me. And it turns out that they had made this decision, you know, without really considering how it might affect other people, which, in my opinion, is negligent. And our county judge has agreed that 
the way that he handled that was less than transparent. So at that point, I immediately started looking for other locations in that geographic area. I identified our county appraisal district. I initiated a conversation with our new chief appraiser who had just assumed that position on January 1. She spoke with her board. It took them a while to get us an answer, but ultimately they were concerned about security because they would not be able to lock, you know, the the rooms off from the rest of the, the district. So it turned out that that was not a – uh, viable option right. for the primary. So because of timing and the way the whole thing came about, that's how we got to where we are right now. Um, you know, so, I, I so know where are we right now? So where we are have we right one, we, we have one, dem, we have one Democratic um, commissioner on our commissioner's court. She has one vote in that process. You know, the other, the other four on that commissioner's court, they were okay with it. But given that that is a very new building, it complies with ADA requirements, and it is owned by the county for, you know, for the time being, with the primary right around the corner, that is the option that we're looking at now. That doesn't mean that that's the final option that we'll have for November. So that's where we are. Well, let me just say okay. this. You can easily have it removed because uh, federal law says you can't have a, a polling place in police departments or anywhere where people are in uniform as police as a form of their official duty. There are people that will be intimidated. That is already in the federal regulations, and any state or county has to abide by the federal law. So all you well, that, know, I was presented you, to them, but it did not it did not change right. anything. As soon as so, as soon as you find an alternate place, a library, a store, somebody's backyard, you can change it. I would agree that once these people have received their voting uh, place in the mail, that it would be disadvantage for them to just to remove it to somewhere else before the primary. No, 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 hold up, hold up, no, no, that's not an issue because, because they changed the voting system here. It's like universal voting, you know, where anybody can go at the end of these places and vote. So, so it's not, so that's not an issue. So well, I well, yeah, well, can vote anywhere in the county at any one of the vote centers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's not an issue. That's not an issue right there. May I say something? We, the work has been that we tried to get a voting booth on the HBCU campus, Texas College. They've been before right. them many times trying to get a location, so it didn't really have to go out there. Right. But it ended up going there. There, anyway. I'm not going to wait. Hold on. Hold on. Lot. Let, let me address that. Let me address that. Okay. This whole thing was brought about because the Texas Civil Rights Project contacted our commissioner's court directly. The commissioner's court did not respond to the first letter. They sent them a second letter threatening Mm -hmm. legal action if they did not respond. So they responded because they looked at the map and saw there was no polling place in that geographic region. That is the sole reason that this whole thing came about. So the discussion about college campuses was not – the discussion about college campuses was not part of this decision. So let me say it because the, oh, let me I, say something. See, we heard this. We heard the same story from another person that was on the show. 
So I'm speaking based from what he was saying, what he told, which y'all y'all are basically saying the same thing. And the question I want to ask is, who gave this civil rights group y'all are talking about, don't nobody know about, who gave them all this power? And then once they made their inference, uh, they disappeared from the scene. And then these other two people just do what they're going to do. I mean, I'm just saying, it's a, I mean, it's a whole lot of loose stuff just floating around, and, and nobody wanted to be responsible for what they did. And what well, I'm saying I mean, is I what would, they did is, I don't know who the civil rights organization is. Dr. McKellar, I don't get the correlation of that with this gentleman running for a re-election. And the question well, I want to know what he's going to – what I want to know is, does he have any – is he going to be about voter suppression? That's what I want to know uh, from his position, or, 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 or if he can't uh, uh, advocate – uh, against voter suppression, then tell me why not from his position running for what he's running yeah. for. Yeah, for, for the last 10 years, well, actually, since I've been in college in the 80s, I've been registering voters. I've been an advocate for voting rights and, and civic engagement. Since I have been involved with the local party, I've registered hundreds of people personally. So, no, I am not in any way, shape, form, or fashion Supporting voter suppression, and yeah, I totally reject that. So, no, that's not an issue. Um, okay, I think we advocate. advocate. Oh, yeah, I'm advocating for uh, increased participation, increased transparency in voting. So, yes, that's okay. that's a good Let me jump in and ask you a couple of questions. I'm getting I'm getting quite a few text messages on a, a couple of questions that. That one, and I, I think you, you're going to be familiar with this particular question. As, as we know, as we know, we have 72 precincts uh, in Smith County, and and we only and you can tell us exact the exact number of how many of those positions that we have uh, filled right now, and and then so the question that is being asked and that I'm going to raise is is what would be the first thing that you're going to do. Uh, once you reelected again to try to, to raise up the amount of precinct chairs because they're saying that all along you've been in that leadership role and we have 27 and it may be a, a couple so more now, but we have all of these uh, vacant precincts. What are you going to do to be able to fill those precincts so that we can get people to those precinct chairs can work their areas to get people to the polls? Go ahead. No. I was at an event this evening, and it was a candidate event, and out of 10,000 people in one of our districts, only 500 people voted in the last election. That's, that's 5%. So that tells you, I mean, even just that one act of going to the polls and voting is a challenge for, for far too many of, of, of people in our communities. Now, the number of precinct chairs that we have right now is approximately 25 out of the 72. That is the highest number that has ever been since I've been involved with our local party. You know, not everybody is involved at that level. And th there are times when we get people in those positions, and if they are not committed to actually coming to the meetings, to doing the work, then they fall by the wayside, and it makes it difficult to meet quorum when we do meet. So just having a body just, you know, coercing somebody into a position that they're not prepared to take is not the answer. We need to educate people to get them to understand how important this is. 
And if right. if what's going on in society is not enough to, you know, motivate people, you know, we got to take it to the next level. When when I was a precinct chair, nobody had to convince me to come to meetings. I took initiative, and those are the kind of people that I want to be precinct chairs. So how do you plan on finding those people, I guess is what the question is. And since we're only a few weeks away from, uh, what, a couple of weeks away from early voting, which begins on February the 18th, then what are we going to do as Democrats in order to be able to get our people to the polls that don't have precinct chairs? But what's our plan, in other words, is what, what I'm asking. You know, part of it is explaining to people what's at stake, you know, this past week, we saw the president bestow the Medal of Freedom on Rush Limbaugh. Okay, the man yeah. has zero respect for women, zero respect for minorities or anybody else that, that wasn't raised, raised with his privileged lifestyle. Okay, so that's, that's one extreme. We've got the president, the, the commander-in-chief, fired a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army for telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we are in society. If that, if, if everything that's going on, what just happened in the Senate where they refuse to look at evidence? What, I mean, and, and you know what's funny about that is that within our own CEC, we've got people that are, are motivated by their own agendas. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in facts. They have an agenda that's not always in line with our agenda. So, our challenge is to find the people, educate them, and get the right people in the right positions to move forward. And, you know, it's a constant, constant struggle. It's a, it's a, it's an everyday battle. Have you found Have you found that getting African Americans and um, uh, white Democrats together under one roof to to uh, work in unison difficult? There in Gray County? We're in Smith no, County. Smith, but, uh, Smith County. Smith County. Smith County. But, Gray County. But, but you know, I mean, I, since I've been involved with this party, we have a very diverse group. And we've never, up until here the last few years when the club took new leadership, we've never had any acrimony in our group. You know, um, our previous chair, David, he was white. I mean, he would hold dinners at his house, and I mean, it would literally be a rainbow coalition of, of people with diverse ideas, diverse backgrounds coming together, and we've continued that until right. these past three years. We've, we've got some people that have a separate agenda. Right. And, and that's well, the you thing. Like, they we, want you to walk, walk on water. They want you to walk on water. They want you to, you're like when, when, when uh, President Obama got in, they want to call you by your first name, not respect the title, but they want you to do things that has never been done before. Um, I know it's a difficult feat because uh, trying to get people to unite for what's right is, is, is you know, and, and the cause is, is less a cause until it's their own personal cause. Uh, getting people to come and support candidates uh, and, and knowing the importance of being becoming a delegate and the job of a delegate uh, I, I first learned about the two-step when Hillary and uh, uh, President Barack Obama was running, and I found out that I switched over from Republican to Democrat, and I had to learn two-step, three-step, four-step just to be able to vote. And, you know, I think education is most paramount, teaching the people 
uh, and getting them to understand what's at, what's what's at stake. M- my agenda this time between now and November is to get people to understand we have to win six seats in the United States Senate, maintain Congress, but we have to win six seats. And if there is a opportunity to win a U.S. Senate seat when crews come up, that's what we should be working towards now, is finding out who that candidate is going to be, how to galvanize, because they keep saying that Texas is going to be purple, Texas is going to be purple. Well, the only way that it will become purple is when the uh, Blue Dog Democrats get out of their feelings and come to the, back to the table. And they have to come to the table when, you know, before the election, not during the election. So, Mr. Michael, I mean, you look you, at this last election, it was, it was a two percentage point margin in this last Senate election. So, Texas is purple, and it is the biggest battleground state. But, but here's Absolutely. the thing. I, I, if you've been involved with politics long enough, you know that there are people that get involved that have an axe to grind. Okay, they have right. a, a single issue. They're here to, uh, you know, take control of power to address their issue. That, that's the problem. You know, we, we need people that are going to focus on the core principles of our party, the core principles of our platform. Those are the people that we need to be in leadership. And, Mr. Michael, I, I, I was in the home of many of those dinners. You're right, that, uh, at uh, David Henderson's home. And there was just a few people even at that time, even though you're right, there was a diverse uh, group of people, but it still was a was just a handful of people. So, so my question, I guess, would be in in what ways? Because we we understand and we know the issues that we've experienced, and we know uh, is how hard it is to get people to the polls. But in what ways do you see that you can do uh, for us in, in, in Smith County to help us to realize? And, and I say us because I'm in, I'm including all of us even though we're actively involved out there, then how can you, how, what are you going to do to help us to realize the challenges that we face? Because every, these people look at TV, I think, just like, just like you and me, uh, that, that they will work to overcome, that we will work together, and that's what I don't see. I don't see us working closely enough together to make sure, and I don't know about all the actors and everything, uh, that you're speaking about, but all I know, I want to see unity, and I don't completely see that among us. What What do you think that you can do to help us to face these challenges that you're talking about right now? These axes okay. that. Well, people have? well, number one on unity, you know, I, I I hope that you or anyone else that has particular concerns about unity will have a one-on-one con- conversation. You know, we we really it doesn't do us any good to go out and air public, you know, air dirty laundry in the public. Let's have a discussion to resolve issues and move forward. As far as the number one opportunity for increasing our effectiveness, it's communication. You talked about TV. Well, you go into a restaurant here in East Texas or a hospital or someplace like that, you're going to see Fox News on. And, I mean, that that constant propaganda is having an effect on people. For any business owner to think it's okay to air Fox News, knowing that they are lying, that they're spreading uh, propaganda, says that 
They don't care. They think that we, we're stupid enough that we don't see anything wrong with that. So number one, we got to get to the point where that's not okay. We got to do a better job of getting our message out. One of the committees that we have established is a communications committee. And I, I really believe that in 2020, that is going to be one of our most important committees. We have got to get our message out to stop letting the other side define who we are. We got to define who we are and, and reach the masses. Okay. I, I got lost for a few minutes. Thank you. I think I heard most of what you said. That's true. I, I, and I wasn't really necessarily even thinking about uh, those in the doctor's offices and all that. And you're, you're 100% correct. I mean, every single one in Texas that I was actually talking about that in our own personal homes, uh, we, we decide what we watch at our homes. And so I, I just see so many people out there in our community saying, I'm, I, I don't want to deal with this mess. They, whomever that infamous they is, that they're going to do whatever they want to do, and they're going to put in office whomever they want to put in office. And I, I, I want to thank you for, for running for office and anybody that steps up and puts out there and runs. Well, That's I want to say that as a black man, I, uh, I want to commend you on, on even taking the task, uh, being very familiar with Smith County, Gregg County, Russ County, and some of those other counties. Uh, I know how it was. I had to go and, 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 and be the one who turned in the county chairs for having a, um, uh, a meeting with the Hillary Clinton people before they even had the, uh, uh, the primary and having Hillary Clinton signs in their offices that were paid for by the state Democrat Party. So I know the corruption that was involved in uh, these these local offices, these county offices, prior to you getting in there. But a lot of times people will pretend as if they don't see things. We've come a long way. But uniting people uh, for your cause as a president, you know, you have to go down there and talk to some of those little preachers. They have those old church vans. And uh, uh, Cruz, uh, Senator Cruz's dad, Rafael Cruz, is a pastor in uh, uh, Dallas. He filed a, a suit against the IRS. Uh, to 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 in order for the preachers, the pastors to be able to say uh, through at the pulpit on Sunday who people should vote for, and he won. And so the pastors that were 501c3 that were afraid of losing their uh, their status were told that there's a federal case, and it was heard and it was uh, supported. Now with this administration in. These pastors have the green light. So if they have church vans, they can get the uh, shut-in and the seniors to the voting polls. They can also go around and pick up the ballots and take those ballots and mail them in or take them in. A lot of changes have been made. I think that uh, we have a few people that, uh, you know, if they don't have the documentation of their birth, they weren't able to get a valid ID to vote, that might be something that, that you know, you can work on. Uh, and my office will be willing to work with you on that. But, you know, um, there have been people that sat in your position and did absolutely nothing. And, you know, so, but anything that you do is going to be under uh, 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 a microscope. And everyone who says that they're for you are not for you. So, you know, that, that being said in itself, you know, there are things that, that are above your pay grade that the, as a county chair you have nothing to do with. 
you have you have absolutely no control. The only thing that you can do is write a letter and and protest it. Yet there are people who are have been elected and have been sworn to uphold the Constitution and usurp the Constitution and violate the Constitution and the laws and and, and open up uh, uh, voting polling places like this. Anyone, any county uh, commissioner uh, uh, being elected to office, whether they're Republican or Democrat, they understand or they have the written rules and procedures for opening up a polling place. And having an armed guard or having a facility where people are in uniform, particularly dealing with Latinos. If Latinos are the ones that are requesting this extra polling place to put it in a jail when they may be legal or illegal, that is not going to get them to go in and vote when they got to go into a place that is a, a official place where there are police or people in uniform. So that that's a whole different situation above your pay grade. It can be easily changed. Okay, so Ms. McKellar, have you been out to the juvenile detention center personally? Many times. Okay. Uh, I went out Okay. I, um, I was a CASA, and I handled a, a case. It was a, a, a kid that was in middle school. It was a refusal of parental responsibility case. So I have personally been involved with the juvenile attention center. And in, in that child's case, they actually did him a lot of good. He ended up getting back on the right track. He went into the military. And last I heard from his mom, he is doing well. So, um, Great. yeah, there, there is a need because there are some parents out there that cannot take care of their kids. So they end up in state custody. So we need a good system to, to, to handle those cases. Now, I have personally visited the juvenile attention center. The lobby does not have any indications of law enforcement. I did not see anybody there in uniform. And if that is, in fact, a, a law to that effect, you know, we can fact check that and make sure. But I can tell you from you know, my personal I experience, I didn't. Anybody. I'm sorry, go ahead. People that I've seen in uniforms, actually, I've never seen them in the lobby. I've only seen them in the courtroom. Okay. So, yeah, you know, I didn't see any indications that it would appear like the, the term that I heard used earlier was a child jail. No, it's not a child jail. It is, you know, it's a juvenile facility to keep children from going to real jail. So, you know, let, again, let's let's not create more of a, a – Issue than there is. Well, you know, well they're, um, they're actually, look, Mr. Talbot, they're actually in orange uniform. Uh, it 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 is it is juvenile jail, even though we don't really use that term as a juvenile justice center. But but it is they're, they're in they're in orange uniform. Right. Least, right. So no, um, so no, it would it, it would not have been my first choice. But given the circumstances. There is still the opportunity to change it before the November election. So I'd say right. let's uh, be vigilant and observe what happens with this and get feedback actually from the community, from the people that are actually voting there and, and, and see what they say. So, But we have plenty of time to adjust it before the November election. Right. Okay, give us your final comments, anything that you want us to know and say about your um, and, and your platform, which you're running on, uh, because there's okay. a lot of 
people that are listening right now? Okay. First off, experience. We need relevant experience. 2020 is going to be an important year. Um, you know, at our last candidate forum, my uh, opponent mentioned that he had written a booklet on being a precinct chair. Well, apparently he didn't either write the section on county party finance or he hadn't read it, but, you know, he didn't understand that we don't, we're not funded by a state agency. Everything that the county party gets is through donations. So, you know, at least if you don't know something, have the honesty and the integrity to say, I don't know. Don't act like you know something when you don't. So, um, you know, that, that gets me to the next point, honesty. You know, you, you look at what just happened in the Senate. Every single one of those people are intelligent enough. You know, many of them are lawyers. They know what's admissible evidence and what's not. They chose to look the other way. They were intellectually dishonest. How can we ever solve problems if we're not honest with each other? So that's my second thing, honesty. Integrity. When you see something, say something. When you see injustice, take action. You know, that's what we need. That is the culture that we need in our party. Right now, the Republican Party is leaving the, the high road wide open. We, we could have a high road all to ourselves, but we have to do it. There are a lot of people that will be attracted to the Democratic Party if we take the high road, conduct ourselves with with integrity and honesty so now is the time to do it you know there are people that know the truth and they're concealing it and and eventually it's going to come out and and they need to be prepared to answer for that you know just like those senators our our two uh texas senators that voted to acquit we need to hold them accountable well anybody else that's lying to to the public they need to be held accountable for their lives that's right. I agree. Well, listen, I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Thomas, so much for being on. We actually had Elizabeth Warren's people on tonight as well, so we're going to invite them to come back uh, to be with us on next week. And so, but we want to cover our local people here and the issues that are going on so right now. So we thank you, and we look forward to you coming on our next show. I had a lot of other questions, but we, we've run out of time, and so I had quite a few, like I said, discounted people that were texting in questions that they wanted to ask you, so we'll be able to ask you those questions on our Thursday show. Hey. Well, let me, let, me, let me mention this. You there? Okay. Okay. Uh, my, my, my number is it's published. My, my number is published all over the place. My website is michaeltalbert.com. My Facebook page is The Talbert Report. I will fact check what I say. If you have any dis- dispute or, 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 you know, evidence to the contrary, please present it because I want to be honest in everything that I say and do. Right, and I think you wanted to mention the question that, that you had asked uh, when we were at our last uh, candidates forum, so you, you can clarify that right now if you, if you like that the question that you did ask, even though people misunderstood. Go ahead with that question quickly if you can. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the last time that I was on your show, uh, Nancy Nichols called in and she attempted to say that people didn't understand my question when I asked who had voted in the 
2018 Senate election. She said that people didn't understand my question. Well, I have the video on my website, michaeltalbert.com. You can watch the video for yourself, and you will see that it is crystal clear what the question was that I asked and what my opponent's answer was. Okay. All righty. Thank you once again, Mr. Cobble, for being on with us tonight, and uh, we look forward to you coming back again. So, Thank you. Uh, Ms. Donna, I know that our time is up. This was, I'm happy that you were able to be with us tonight. I think we accomplished a lot, and, and we want to uh, keep the uh, young lady and the young boy uh, in our prayers, and hopefully that things will work out on their behalf very, very soon, because obviously this little four-year-old needs his grandmother right there beside him to take good care of him. Uh, and uh, it troubles me when I hear of a four-year-old having to be diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, that's a tough uh, diagnosis, and a child at the age of four should not be going through uh, these kinds of things. So we thank everybody for listening. Uh, tonight, once again, we'll invite the Warren, the Elizabeth Warren uh, people to come back. And we know that uh, Bloomberg is going to be traveling down through East Texas. Uh, he's actually hired some people here in, in Smith County. So uh, we appreciate uh, monies and economics that's coming into our uh, community. Uh, there's a lot of things going on out there. We encourage people to study their candidates, listen to what they have to say, listen closely to what they have to say, fact check them, and uh, get ready to vote. We cannot have people who are not going to vote in this very crucial year, probably the most serious election that we've ever had uh, in, our, in our lifetime. So thank you, uh, Bishop Gillery. Thank you, Ms. Rihanna. I turn everything back over to you so that you can end our evening. I thank you for taking care of us and pulling me in so that I could be a part of the show because I, I dialed the number about 10 times and could not get in because we have a lot of people that are tuning in on Monday night. Thank you. May God bless you. May God bless the United States of America. It's all yours, Mr. Mm-hmm. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, glory, glory, oh, glory, glory, hands to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, the spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be out. Oh, one day, 
They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero Facing the league of justice, his power was the people Enemy is lethal, a king became regal Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego The biggest weapon it's to stay peaceful, we sing, our music is the cuts that we bleed through. Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany. Now we right the wrongs in history. No one can win the war individually. It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy. Welcome to the story we call victory. The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory. One day, when the glory comes. 